We now present you our February podcast of the Mountain Care Old Time Radio Hour. Join us on a journey to the golden age of radio on our time machine back to the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. We are your hosts, Bob Jackson and Barb Williams, and we're joined today by our Mountain Care Drama Club. This month's episode includes comedy of George and Gracie, Sherlock Holmes, a Valentine Day story, and the one and only Irving Berlin. This letter feels kind of heavy. I'd better put another stamp on it. What for? It'll only make it heavier. You can't eat these peaches. It's 12 o'clock. What has that got to do with it? It says right here, should serve from 2 to 4. Gracie, what day is it today? Well, I don't know. You can find out if you look at that paper on your desk. Oh, George, that doesn't help. It's yesterday's paper. A funny thing happened to my mother in Cleveland. Well, I thought you were born in Buffalo. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes tale. Watson had been watching her companion intently ever since she sat down at the breakfast table. Holmes happened to look up and catch her eye. Well, Watson, what are you thinking about? How about you? Me? Yes, Holmes, I was thinking how superficial these tricks of yours are how, and how wonderful it is that the public should continue to show interest in them. I quite agree. In fact, I have a recollection that I have myself made a similar remark. Your methods are readily, easily acquired. No doubt. Perhaps you yourself can give an example of this method of reasoning. With pleasure. I'm able to say that you are greatly preoccupied when you get up in the morning. Excellent. How could you possibly know that? Because you're usually a very tidy woman, and yet you have forgot to brush your hair. Dear me, how very clever. I had no idea, Watson, that you were so apt a pupil. Has your eagle eye detected anything more? Yes, Holmes. You have a client named Barlow, and you have not yet been successful with his case. Dear me, how could you know that? I saw the name outside his envelope. When you opened it, you gave a groan and thrust it into your pocket with a frown on your face. Admirable. You are indeed observant. Any other points? I fear, Holmes, that you have forgotten you have taken to financial speculation. How could you tell that, Watson? You opened the paper, turned to the financial page, and gave a loud exclamation of interest. Well, that is very clever of you, Watson. Any more? Yes, Holmes. You have put on your black coat instead of your dressing gown, which is proves that you're you are you're expecting some important visitor at once. Anything more? I have no doubt that I could find other points, Holmes, but I only give these very few in order to show you that there are other people in the world who can be as clever as you. And some not so clever. I admit that they are few, but I am afraid, my dear Watson, that I must count you among them. What do you mean, Holmes? Well, my dear lady, I fear your deductions have not been so happy as I should have wished. 
You mean that I was mistaken? Just a little that way, I fear. Let us take the points in their order. I did not brush my hair because I have lost my hairbrush. I put on my coat because I have, worse luck, an early meeting with my dentist. His name is Barlow, and the letter was to confirm the appointment. The cricket page is beside the financial one, and I turned to it to find if Surrey was holding its own against Kent. But go on, Watson, go on. It's a very superficial trick, and no doubt you will soon acquire it. With February being the month of Valentine's Day, we now bring you Carolyn's amazing story of how she met her husband. I grew up in the mountains here in western North Carolina and became aware at a fairly early age that most people in the United States looked down on mountaineers and they considered us ignorant, uninformed, inbred, most any most anything that you can, you know, say that is derogatory about people. And I was an early reader, and I loved geography. I loved reading about places that I had never been, never seen, probably never would. And so I escaped in books, and books became my best friends. So. At a fairly early age, I decided that I wanted to travel. I wanted to see what the West, rest of the world was like because I loved reading about adventure stories, other places, and just fascinated with that. So when I graduated from college, I took a trip to Europe. It was a just traditional tour. And the tour originated in England, in London, and the first day I was there, I met this young man who was stationed in Germany as an American soldier, and he would get a long leave, and he would travel to one of the cities in Europe. And we just happened to be staying at the same hotel. So he stuck his head in the door one evening when I was visiting with some other young ladies who were on the tour, and they were from Michigan. And he stuck his head in the door and said, do y'all know so-and-so? And I started laughing because of the y'all and the Southern dialect. And so we met, we ended up spending the evening together. And the next day we saw each other again and um, he decided that he would propose. And of course I had graduated college. This is what I did as my graduation present for my parents. And I thought, well, everybody else is getting married <laughs> and I don't have any prospects. <laughs> and it was pretty exciting being in London and having someone propose, so I said yes, which is probably one of the most irrational things I ever did in my life because I was a serious, you know, contemplator about things. It was hard for me to make decisions and I would weigh the goods and the bads and you know I just didn't. And so actually what happened my next um, place was Germany on the tour and I don't know how he did it. He extended his leave and he joined um, in Germany and 
the lady leading the tour thought this was, you know, so fascinating, and here's this budding romance, so she let him join the tour. <laughs> and so, you know, within, you know, 24 hours or less, I was pretty much committed to getting married, and he followed me around Germany and other places in Europe. And then he came back to the States because he'd volunteered for Vietnam, and he got his orders to go to Vietnam. So he came back to the States, and we were married. Less than a month's time passed. And none of you know me that well, but it is hard for me to make a decision. I can weigh the goods, the bads, you know, pros, cons all day long, and still can't make a decision. So I told people, and I will tell you, the most irrational thing I ever did probably was to accept a marriage proposal and to ultimately get married. <laughs> but we were married. Um, for 42 years before he passed away. And we were truly strangers, so I guess we are a tribute to the fact that arranged marriages and strangers can work very well. <laughs> we now bring you the incredible story and music of Irving Berlin. With a life that spanned more than 100 years and a catalog that boasted over 1,000 songs, Irving Berlin epitomized Jerome Kern's famous maxim that Irving Berlin has no place in American music. He is American music. Irving Berlin was born Israel Berlin on May 11, 1888. One of eight children, his exact place of birth is unknown. Although his family had been living in Tolochin, Belarusia, when they immigrated to New York in 1893. When his father died, Berlin had just turned 13. He took to the streets in various odd jobs working as a busker, singing for pennies. Then as a singing waiter in a Chinatown cafe. In 1907, he published his first song, Marie from Sunny Italy. And by 1911, he had his first major international hit, Alexander's Ragtime Band. With a love that's true, always. 
decades, Irving Berlin produced an outpouring of ballads, dance numbers, novelty tunes, and love songs that defined American popular song for much of the century. A sampling of just some of the Irving Berlin standard includes How Deep is the Ocean, Blue Skies, White Christmas, Always, Anything You Can Do, There's No Business Like Show Business, Cheek to cheek, putting on the wrists. A pretty girl is like a melody. Heat wave, oh how I hate to get up in the morning. Easter parade, and let's face, let's face the music and dance. Let, let's face the music and dance. In the class by step, if his beloved peer to his beloved country, God bless America. September 22nd, 1989, at the age of 101, Irving Berlin died in his sleep in his townhouse in New York City. Widower since his wife of 62 years, the former Ellen McKay had died the previous year at the age of 88. Berlin was survived by three daughters and their families at the time of his death. And that was our blast from the past. Thank you for joining us on a journey down memory lane. And as always, may your troubles be less, your blessings be more, and nothing but happiness come through your door. Join us next month on the Mountain Care Old Time Radio Hour. <laughs>